If you can't have awesome wheel-to-wheel, heart-pounding, pulse-pounding, wheel-to-wheel racing action, a tactical battle is fine. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Hey everybody, I'm Dre Harrison. Welcome to episode 304 of Motorsport 101. Um, good luck to King picking out which of those uh, segues he wants to stick in the actual episode. Uh, all, of them, <laughs> all of them will be in the episode. <laughs> Brilliant, even better. A little love for everybody. <laughs> we could all have a little bit as a treat. And uh, welcome to episode 304 of Motorsport 101. And uh, yeah, we have a Spanish Grand Prix that didn't <coughs> suck. I think that in itself is a win. Like for F1 standards, that is a dub. We, we 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 will take those. We will take a six out of ten decent tactical battle by Spanish Grand Prix standards because we were not looking forward to this, and it turned out to be passable, and that's okay. It doesn't matter because we had Formula E in Monaco, and that kicked ass. So yeah. um, God, I'm so happy to talk about Monaco. Oh. Shame we'll be doing that at the end of the show. But in the meantime, we'll also be talking about the Spanish Grand Prix. But first of all, let's introduce our, our, our guest as always. First of all, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hello. Happy to be back as always. Um, I, I gotta say, I didn't fall asleep during the Spanish Grand Prix because I felt it was boring. I fell asleep because, you know, I just needed sleep. And it just so happened to come at that point... Where Mercedes decided, okay, we're going to two-stop this one. And then woke back up just as Lewis Hamilton got his way past Max Verstappen. You missed the best pass. <laughs> the fun pass. Like, oh, can he chase down 22 seconds? The... Oh, Jay. How Hungary 2019-2, electric boogaloo. Indeed. Indeed. Speaking of which, Cam Buckley is here. Hello, sir. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm happy to report that we are not selling our content as NFTs. Instead, we're throwing everything into uh, Draycoin. The, 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 it's the new cryptocurrency with me on it. It's going to be worth more than Dogecoin like by the end of the month, most definitely. Because yeah, who Dogecoin, wouldn't want a piece of the podcast? With Dogecoin, they say to the moon. With Draycoin, we're going to Pluto. <laughs> Neither of those are planets, by the way. Can I just say that's the biggest endorsement King has ever given me on this podcast, and I am very proud of it. Well, 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 going... I'm, not, I'm, I'm not endorsing you. I'm endorsing Draco, and there's a clear and distinct difference here. Damn. <sighs> Thanks, King. Welcome back <laughs> to the show. How are you doing? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing fantastic. I have my stockpile of 1.5 billion Dracoin ready to go to the moon. <laughs> um, it's going to be gee, worth six, maybe seven cents. Can you buy with a 1.5 billion Dracoin? As it stands, only about half an Xbox 360, but we're yeah. getting there. We're getting there. Is it red ringed or is it still working? That's for you to that's yeah, that's for you to find, find out. out. What's the chips to you? <laughs> it's a mystery. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. We'll soon figure that out later. While while while, while King works out uh, what to do with one point five billion Draycoin, which even by my standard sounds like a very bad idea. Um, 
<laughs> also, like, you know what it is, King? I think we figured it out. I think we're going to use them to pay the staff of Ed Carpenter Racing during the 500. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> there we well, go. We've got... <laughs> oh, dear. We figured it I'm out. here also... for the comments section if we get a Bitcoin Space Force 1-2 at the 500. Eyes up, Guardian. All we need now is for Ed Carpenter to sneak in a sneaky little third entry with Dianetics as the sponsor. No, it back to no, the no, 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 enough. No, no. housekeeping. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm, 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 I'm. <laughs> Tell them where you can find the podcast. I will after we find the fourth co-host again. Yeah, because Cam has bolted on us, and understandably so. Now we can get um, a sub. We can get a sub. <laughs> What, you're going to order it during the podcast like you did with the cheesesteak? <laughs> if I could kick you right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get for investing in Draycoin. Uh, basically, you can find us in the meantime. We're on YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. If you'd like to be a co-host, send us an email to Dre at Motorsport101.com. Uh, <laughs> oh, Cam's back. Hello, Cam. Are you okay now down there? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, you can still become a sub after all, uh, RJ's promotion to the Bring Back Daiichi Corners podcast. Hey, we like that hit. Uh... Um... <laughs> but more on that later. More on that later. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. If you'd like to follow my handles, they're on the screen right now. If you're watching us on YouTube, and, the, and uh, if you're not, on, on listening to an audio, we're at Harrison 101 HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, and at C Buckley 917. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, by the way, hi. Hit the bell if you haven't already. Subscribe, all of that good stuff. We're on uh, Instagram at. Uh, and Motorsport 101 Pod. And if you really, really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to all of the audio versions of our show. You can upgrade to $10 for access to the Supporters Club of our Discord server, where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded, as well as getting on demand all of our early access for the video shows as well. Also, special promotion for a little bit as well. Episodes 301 and 302 are available for just a buck. So if you want to chip in for just a dollar, you can get a good two and a half hours worth of content for the same price as a, a, a portion of McDonald's medium fries. What's not to love? But are, um, are, so, are, what, wouldn't those episodes be out already by the time this episode comes out? They could that's still how, that's how numbers fine. work. <laughs> no, King, King, you're thinking too much about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fine, honestly. Like, Who's time is a construct. Up a portion of McDonald's fries if they're it's hot. A good point. It's a, it's a hard gonna, sell. Uh, yeah. But... <laughs> big asterisk there. <laughs> it's a hard sub, but we'll figure it out anyway. But yeah, thanks everyone that's back in us on Patreon. Thanks to guys on the YouTube stream watching along. Shout out to Jason and all you guys in there as well. Thanks for tuning in. As always, hope you guys enjoyed the show tonight. As mentioned, we'll be talking about the uh, 2021 Spanish Grand Prix. And yeah, it didn't stink. And we had a decent tactical fight for the win. What's not to love? We'll be talking about some of that. We'll be talking about the uh, state of play of the cars four rounds in. We'll be talking about Catalonia in general because we cannot go a year without talking about Catalonia's place on the calendar. So yes, we'll be talking about that as well. And some of the increased pressure on one of the drivers in the big four. I'll give you a hint. It's not Valtteri Bottas. Surprise! 
<sighs> I know, I'm as shocked as you are. And we will also be talking about Formula E's Monaco Grand Prix. And uh, my God, what a race that was. Um, we are not exaggerating. It is going to be on the Scotty list for race of the year. No, seriously. A Monaco Grand Prix is going to be on the An Scotty list. An overtake of the year. Um, I've got nothing here. Um, that's a first for us. And will probably never happen again. But we'll talk about that on the podcast later. But yeah, RJ, talk us through the 2021 Spanish Grand Prix. For the fourth time this season, the Spanish Grand Prix came down to a straight dogfight between Red Bull's Max Verstappen and the reigning seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton failed to take advantage of his 100th career pole position as Verstappen swept past him into turn one and led the early going. Hamilton seemingly had the pace to stay with Verstappen but couldn't get close enough to force a pass due to dirty air. Yeah, uh, after the first round of stops, where Verstappen came in early due to a miscommunication with his team, they left Hamilton out a few laps later. That allowed Verstappen to get the undercut and stay in front. However, Mercedes took advantage of the huge gap to Sergio Perez, who was stuck behind Daniel Ricciardo at the time, took a free stop... And, well, we've seen this script before in Hungary 2019. Verstappen committed to the one-stop. Mercedes committed com- committed to the two-stop. Hamilton had to chase down a 22-second gap. Who to Verstappen, who was forced to go 42 laps on his mediums. And did it with a few laps to spare. I mean, wasn't really much of a fight once he got there, was it? 98 career wins and a championship lead of 14 points. Uh, Verstappen did get the bonus point. So, folks, how concerned should Red Bull be after beating on strategy for the second time in four races this season? I, like, I, it's hard to say that they were wrong on strategy. It, it felt like they were in a lose-lose scenario. That there was, that there was no way that they could have won the race once they hit a certain point. Uh, it, there, there was the point that they had no more medium tires left, but someone actually corrected uh, the people who were saying that on social media afterwards. Mercedes put Hamilton for a second stop on a scrub set. I uh, did, I think, six laps in practice, mm. and what 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 was very critical is that Verstappen had the gap to pit and come out back ahead of Hamilton uh, for another two laps after Hamilton pitted. Not a great outlap from Hamilton, but once he got into his rhythm, it felt like an inevitability. Despite his own tires dropping off, Verstappen's well-worn mediums just melted down by the end of the race. There was nothing he could really do. And for once, the dirty air in Spain wasn't strong enough to keep a car behind. Lewis ended up making the pass pretty easily. Yeah, um, I think Peretti recommended the mediums go 35 laps. Verstappen had to go 42 to try and win that race. So his back was up against the wall on that one. And we'll talk about it a little bit more in a a future segment. But... uh, it, this was a peak example of Mercedes having the advantage of having two cars in the fight. 
and Perez was held up, and Perez, like, Red Bull was desperate to have Perez up there, and it didn't work, and then Hamilton was basically given the the blessing of, of the strategic the strategic calls. He could basically say, you know what, do you think you can get past him? Well, no. Okay, we can we can roll the dice, stick him on a two-stopper, even with a used set of, of, of medium tyres, because if it doesn't work out, you finish in second anyway. Um, yep, so there's no loss. Mas- Mercedes had nothing to lose. They weren't going to pass him on a one-stopper on track. That was more than clear on on similar tyre where the Delta was too big around Catalonia. So Merckx might as well roll the dice. And they did, and they won. And I, honestly, I thought after the first round of stops that Mercedes had made the same error that Red Bull did in Bahrain, um, potentially coughing up track position. And it's understandable why Red Bull thought they didn't want to give that up once they are in front, because... Right now, the way the sport is, the way these cars race, track position is king, I'd say, maybe 70% of the time. But, unfortunately... It was just too much pace delta at the end. Yeah, yeah, it was it was way too much at the end. And, you know, was, there was nothing... Verstappen drove brilliantly, for, for what it was worth. He was not on the ideal strategy at all. This is not a criticism of Verstappen. He drove brilliantly. He did what he had to no, do. You- you could not ask more for either of those two drivers in that fight. They did everything they could with what yeah. they had. Uh, and that's Hamilton exactly was... what we want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two, as as someone who is not a particular fan of either of these two as drivers, uh, watching mm. the two of them just throw mad hands at each other is incredibly entertaining. And, that's what we want to say. Yeah, and just when you think uh, one is beginning to maybe buckle under the pressure of the fight, they steal their nerves, knuckle down, and throw another hook. It's a lot of fun, and it just feels like Red Bull was, like Bahrain, too passive, while Mercedes was able to be more aggressive. It, it's Red Bull, right Red Bull taking too much, in, in Bahrain, there was too much faith in, there was simultaneously too much and not enough faith in the car that they had, and the pace mm. advantage they might have. Here, it seemed to be too much faith in the dirty air effect when we saw after Hamilton's first pit stop, he was on tires, I think, six laps fresher, five, six laps fresher than Verstappen. He was five laps, yeah. And he tore through the gap like it was nothing after Verstappen heavily undercut him because fresh tires were just that powerful here. Mm. They were worth seconds a lap, uh, even uh, a relatively small advantage. That's why the majority of the field went too. Yeah, um, mm. rather than one. Um, so, yeah, Cam, you got the next big put a point there. Mm. Yeah, wondering after preseason and their high profile issues, has Mercedes gotten their early car issues under control? It's did did we exaggerate Mercedes' problems back in back in March? I wonder a little bit because. It, it. I, I don't know because it, I don't know. If it it's would certainly because... fit a narrative about Mercedes and preseason testing, always exaggerating <laughs> their issues, because that's a popular narrative. Bring up, but this time it looked like, ooh, they they might have a they might have something of an actual problem here. Though I it, don't. It, it does feel that Mercedes, like it does feel like the issues were real, but they've resolved those issues. Because if you look at the other team in the same situation, Aston Martin, they still have not recovered. 
No, not even close. I think... I wouldn't say they've solved the issues, because solving the issues, given how much time Mercedes had to work on this car relative to everyone else, would mean there are mm. seven tenths down the road, and this championship is dead and buried. Mm. Mercedes are phenomenal at problem solving. And when they have an issue with the car, in the last few years, they've been able to rectify it. Perhaps not quickly, but they've always been able to rectify it. And then do a whole lot of damage in the championships. There was an upgrade at Imola where I think in their diffuser they traded a little bit of performance for more predictability. For more control. Yeah. Because that was the thing that I was blaming for preseason testing is that... Yeah, this car is fast, but it was it was relatively hard to drive by the standards of a Mercedes AMG Formula One team racing. It was undrivable. Yeah. Lewis Hamilton spun more times in preseason than he has in the last seven years in Formula One. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, there was enough latent pace within that car that they could trade a little bit of raw performance to just put a leash on it, get the car under control. But even then. Red Bull are just are they are they are so equal. The drivers are both driving at the pinnacle of their performance. The two technical departments are delivering two phenomenal cars. Where it's being decided right now is on the pit wall where frankly Red Bull hasn't been up to the task twice this year of matching Mercedes strategic ability. I'm going to ask a very uncomfortable question. Is it as bad as Ferrari when they had chances to win the title off Mercedes? No. No, because there was just about... (laughs) There was just about the easiest... They were some of the easiest decisions you could have made that every armchair strategist and engineer is like, why are they doing that? Yeah, these at least seemed like they they were tough to think about, in a sense. Yeah, I would say... Um... Spain was a little more clear-cut than Bahrain. Bahrain, they did have the pace, and it just didn't work out thanks to a certain little piece of tarmac that uh, we no longer speak of. But this time, it feels like even putting on a scrub set of mediums, they should have bolted those on and then left Verstappen out to keep Hamilton in the dirty air and kill his front tires. Yeah, like... I feel like this, like, I feel like those cars are very, very evenly matched. I mean, we're talking temps and hundredths between Hamilton in his package right now and Verstappen in his package right now. And it, for me, and this is something that should be championed in this sport, and especially given, I think, the direction of the sport is going more towards drivers and personalities. This is a team game. And mm-hmm. you are only as good as your pit wall. And like Verstappen is driving as well as he's ever done. He did everything right in this race. He drove hard. He made the most of an inferior strategy. To put a very bullish move on Hamilton at turn one to take the lead of the race and take control. Which at Catalonia was super important. Anyway, like yeah. you could not ask for more for Verstappen from this performance. But... Hamilton drove brilliantly, and his team behind him won him the race with that strategic flexibility. And, you know, what Bono said to Lewis, what he's always said to him, look, 22 seconds, you've done it before. And Mercs yep. know what they're doing. They they, they are 
Look, Mercs was always good for a couple of strategic howlers a, a year, like a few years ago. That just yeah. doesn't really happen with Mercedes anymore. They've been on point pretty much every weekend so far on strategy, at least. And that, we've seen, could be the difference so far. I mean, it's right. a 14-point championship lead. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you could make a valid case the Ripples had shots. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And... and and it, I, I don't think on paper Hamilton should have a 14-point lead, especially given that Red Bulls had chances to win three of these first four races and had opportunities to win three of the first four. But Hamilton, team combination, development issues, the team has come together brilliantly, and this is the best start Hamilton has ever had to a Grand Prix season. Both of them. Yeah. The best yeah. start for both of them. It's yeah. They're so far clear of everyone up at mm. the front because last year last year Hamilton hit the stage where he really could just show up piss around for the whole weekend and then go club the field. Yeah. And sometimes Bottas would pull a win off of him. Sometimes he would have a procedural blunder that would give him a penalty. Mm. Verstappen and Hamilton are pushing each other to be the best versions of themselves. And yeah, may, may, may the intrigue long continue because it's a certain place called Monaco next weekend, and that's bound to be interesting, um, to say the yeah. least. Um, yeah, RJ, talk to us about the track a little bit. We're back at this point again. Should we <laughs> still be racing at the Circuit of Barcelona Catalunya with a mm. 1.8 Selkin Delta to overtake? Will fixing the final chicane, or at least in the uh, this has been proposed that maybe the FIA will take away that final chicane in Sector 3 that everybody loves so much. <laughs> well, that fits it. Oh, no. Uh, no. Like, removing the final chicane wouldn't make the track a uh, better, like, overtaking track. This it... was not a good place for F1 cars to overtake before they put in that chicane. This wasn't a good place to overtake before they blew the cars out and gave them twice the amount of arrow. Yeah. In 2016, Verstappen won his first race because he just dumped his whole battery on the front straight and there was nothing Raikkonen could do about it. It's, it's a tough thing because obviously racing in Barcelona, racing in that portion of Spain, it's obviously lucrative. And the teams like going there for testing. The teams like going there for racing. The teams like going there for at the parties. Like, they don't want to give away this market if they can help it. But in terms of changing the track, what are you going to do to make this place conducive to F1 and then realize, oh, yeah, by the way, motorcycle racing is a big moneymaker. You don't want to ruin the show for them either. I think uh, slathering the entire track in PJ1 might work. Deeply unserious commentary. Look, it's it's tough because fundamentally, this is a test track. It is. It's a great test track. Test track. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of everything. It stresses every part of the car. That's why we see two cars be in the Red Bull and the Mercedes be total opposites at the end of their concepts but they both mm. set pretty similar lap times around here. Absolutely. Mm. But the racing fucking sucks. <laughs> it's like the track is explicitly designed to stop any run you might get. Mm -hmm. We got and... that one shot 
in 91, I think it was, with Senna and Mansell going down into turn one, side by side, with the vapor trails coming off the back tires. And that's the most memorable wheel-to-wheel moment in a Formula One car that this circuit has seen that doesn't involve Mercedes taking each other out four corners into a Grand Prix weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, I, I, I think you alluded to the point earlier, RJ. It's not a Formula One track. It's a MotoGP track. And that is the priority for Catalonia. And it should be the, pri- the priority for Catalonia. They, they, they will get over 100,000 on MotoGP race day when they when MotoGP heads, hits it up there in oh, yeah. June. And they the, the reason part of the reason why we have this chicane as well is not only the fact that you know they had to change the last corner because it was dangerous. They also had to change turn 12 because of Louis Salom's passing as well, which I think a lot of people failed to mention when discussing this course and obviously the new turn 10 that was put down, not the super sharp hairpin that we got again because of Salom's passing. So it's all, yeah. it's, I think it's a classic case of Formula One and MotoGP guys butting heads when, when multi-format tracks like Catalonia come up in the discussion because, you know, then one is not thinking of the other. And a lot, That's unfortunately, exactly I reckon... It. And I think, I think, unfortunately, for every, you know, I think for every 100 MotoGP fans that are out there talking about Catalonia as a course, there's probably about 2,000 Formula One fans that aren't giving it that level of nuance. And that is always going to be a problem. It's the cars. The cars don't help either. We all know it. We've talked about it many a times. Yeah. They're too big. They're too wide. They generate too much downforce. A 1.8 second delta is ludicrous. Um, it is ludicrous. Yeah, it's only going to get worse next week. Yeah. Oh, God. Forget about it. Don't even bother. It's going to be a glorified time trial next weekend. <laughs> but, you know, it's... A 1.8 second delta is ludicrous to pass around here. Because the midfield is too close for that as it is. Um, That's so bigger it, than it just... the delta gaps between two tire compounds in Formula 1. Yeah, like... Most tire compounds we go to, when you see the graphic flash up before a race starts, when since when is the hardest compound saying 1.8 seconds a lap slower? It's never that big. It's normally like it's normally just over a second. It's not 1.8. That's ludicrous. Yeah. If it took a massively different two-stop strategy to see big variants in overtakes at the front of the field, Look at you're it. not putting on a very good product. Simple as. Let me present it a little yeah. differently. There's other than the very back of the field right now with um, a, a team that will go unnamed and occasionally Williams. Mm. There is not a gap bet- from 1.8 seconds from the front of the grid on general lap time no. all the way until you're past the midfield. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd say you could probably put the top seven at least in that ballpark, maybe top eight yeah. in that ballpark. Um, I'd say everybody down to maybe Williams. I, I, I would. I yeah, would, you have I'd the pace gulf. Yeah, realistically, on that pace delta, you could have an Alfa Romeo holding up a Mercedes around here. And then that's it's just, just not sustainable. No, and you can't do that. It's like Benoldi holding up Coulthard at Monaco all those years ago. It's just. You know oh it's silly when you watch it, and you know it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It's funny for the first two laps, but then you go, "What's the point?" You know, and <laughs> and it's it's not ideal. Yeah, I mean, it's... yeah. <coughs> and another thing with this track, it's the dirty air is so bad here. You get to the point where there's you can't you don't even defend really. 
You just lap in front of someone, and you don't need to defend. The dirty you air will hold them. let the wake do all the work. You don't yeah. even have to block. You don't even have to move in the braking zone. The wake does the work for you. Sometimes. Unless tires are falling off a cliff, they get <coughs> skin. Mm, mm. Oh, God. And if there's one thing I noticed about that all when watching Hamilton and Verstappen do it, when Hamilton was in Verstappen's DRS zone, he was gaining like 0.5 on that front straight with the extra 12 miles an hour, and he immediately lost three temps by the end of turn two. Yeah. Like, it, that's yeah, how that was much... the ebb and flow. Yeah, that's how crazy it was. It was just... It's just not sustainable, but they're going to keep Catalonia because they love racing in Spain, and no other Spanish track really is eligible for F1 on that sort yeah, of scale. I was going to say, we could always the go be hit a up. whole bunch of the same problems we have now, but way the hell out of the way. Um, Aragon Valen- is maybe the only other place we would consider? No, as a you don't want Aragon. And we're no. not digging up the streets you don't want of those Valencia. problems. No, and uh, the Valencia racetrack, I mean, they have racing problems on bikes. What's it going to be like with this? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, exactly. You don't want it. So we're stuck, unfortunately. So I mean, enjoy more Catalonia Grand Prix as you go. But uh, let's let's get into the other big the other big moment of discourse after this race. <laughs> and that was a certain second driver at uh, a certain team. And no, um, this is a reprieve, uh, fans of the show. This is not going to be a Valtteri Bottas discussion. It's going to be one no. on Sergio Perez. Um, there was some conversation about Perez. He was talked about by his uh, his boss, Christian Horner, at Red Bull, as well as Max Verstappen after the race. Um, now, for context, Perez finished fifth on the day. He did have a, a shoulder injury. He, we talked about it on Saturday. There was a spinning <coughs> qualifying. He didn't make massive gains on the field. Um, he was significantly further back. Um, Horner spoke about it. He said, quote, I think it's coming together for him. Uh, said he had an off day on Saturday and was compromised in the race behind Daniel. Obviously, he didn't manage to make headway at a track where it is difficult to pass because we desperately need him to be in that gap so that Mercedes don't have the strategic options that they had. Quote, I'm convinced that that will come for Checo as he finds more confidence and time in the car. Um, to double down on that, um, Verstappen wasn't quite so uh, kind about the situation. He spoke to Ziggo Sports about it and said, quote, I actually tried uh, to do my race as well as possible and look after the tyres as well as possible. But somehow we were slower and we wear our tyres out more as well. Then, of course, at some point you just don't stand the chance anymore. And in the end, I am always alone in that fight. So they can easily just make another stop because there is a gap behind them. That doesn't help either, of course. Now, the question I pose to you, gentlemen, is should Red Bull be concerned about Perez's lack of early production? Because this has been about his ballpark so far this season. Hmm. Where do I start with this? (laughs) We started the year at Bahrain. He has a tough qualifying. And then, through no fault of his car, his car breaks down in the formation lap. And he puts in... A drive of the day candidate, a drive of the day worthy performance to go from the pit lane to finish fifth. That was great. Mm. He was going to follow that up in Imola, where he was clearly going to finish in contention for a podium, and then he spins it, drops eleventh. Okay, it, it happens. Whatever. Should keep in mind He's as well with Imola. Should keep in mind with with Imola. He outqualified Verstappen. Yeah, mm. and then bogged it down off the start. 
and he was so close to salvaging it, just fell away. Portugal, fourth, 10 seconds to rip for Verstappen. This was probably... This was probably the, the worst race that he's had. And yeah, he's nursing a soldier injury. We get that. I know all of us expect better from Formula One Grand Prix winner Sergio Perez. 11th year veteran Sergio Perez. The first real experienced guy they brought in outside the program to drive this car since they had Mark Webber. Mm. Uh, mm. But... When you just look at it from a points perspective, there are obviously some people that are going to be thinking, you kicked Pierre Gasly down the B team. You kicked Alexander Albon down to testing duties. And you're still not getting more points out of your second driver than you did before. But obviously there's more to it than that. I I was going to say, the key matchup is Valtteri Bottas, uh, a second driver that we've had many not so nice things to say about him in his time at Mercedes. Mm-hmm. Um, his production probably hasn't mattered as much until now. And Perez is minus 15 on Valtteri Bottas. That's not good. Because no. if you are losing that matchup to Valtteri, you're putting more pressure on Verstappen to deliver wins. Because if it doesn't, you lose further ground than the constructors, and you need Max to try and balance the books a little bit more. Um, wins mean more than finishing like third over fourth, of course. Um, that's the way the point system works. But Perez being minus 15 on Bottas after four rounds, a guy that we are not exactly high on, a part of us is still screaming for George Russell to take his seat, you know, and there's and- a viable case you can make for that. At least Bottas is holding up his end of the deal. But he's selling his Mercedes. And importantly, uh, Bottas got blown up out of one of those races where Perez had the opportunity to land a 1-2 for the team and just had a pretty torrid race. Mm. Apart from that wreck in Imola, Bottas has not missed the podium. Yeah, it's been a ways off of Hamilton for Stappen, but he's still at least doing about as good a job as possible for him to hold up his end of the bargain, which is he's something we were not too needed. confident in going into this season. Mm. No. Um, the thing is with Perez is that you see it. There's a few... There's There are the flashes of the Perez we know, the Perez that we've seen be... Arlie, the king of the midfield for his whole time in Formula One. Perez that I fell in love with in 2012. The Perez that I was yeah. so happy he got that win in 2020. Mm, mm. And even in this race, we saw it. He he had the shoulder injury, had a really pretty awful qualifying as a result. And yeah. this place, similar to the next track we go to, if you qualify poorly, it's a death sentence for your race. Absolutely. If we were like 90% of most other scenarios, we knew he was racing with a shoulder injury and gritted out, finished fifth after missing Q3, we would just be like, wow, what a gutsy performance. Just not in this scenario because it's the Red Bull second seat. Part three. They still haven't found a a replacement for (laughs) Daniel Ricciardo. And the the last dude that they had decided, right, I'm going to take my ball to McLaren. I'm going to get into some bad guy shit, and then I'm going to flip my seat to Ferrari. Oh, my God. 
<laughs> yeah, um, I mean, but that's the thing. Perez has shown that when he is comfortable with this car, he's not as fast as Verstappen, but he can get close. He can get a damn sight closer than Albon ever did. He can get closer than Gasly did since the first race, couple races of 2019. But he has to put it together. And he is getting there. He pulled off a pretty damn impressive move on Ricardo. Oh, yeah. When that, that McLaren is a goddamn missile in a straight line. Mm-hmm. And compromised his race. His pace, once he was in clean, clean air, was not bad at all. Yeah. But then that just brings up the question. How long should he have been stuck behind Ricardo to begin with? Well, you need 1.8 seconds to pass here, so... Yeah, there's that. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it took a long time, and it took the FIA telling Daniel Ricardo to stop weaving on the straights. Yeah, I think Perez has made pretty good progress relative to the other two drivers who we've seen slot into that seat post Daniel Ricardo. Yeah, mm. but he has to get there sooner rather than later. Oh yeah, not so much f- to help Verstappen because honestly. Verstappen and Hamilton are ending up so far ahead of everybody that it doesn't matter where Valtteri and Perez are. Mm. What matters, as Dre put it, is the Constructors' Championship. If he can put pressure on and beat Valtteri, that leaves Max to deal with the issue at hand, which is not necessarily Mercedes, but Lewis. I was going to say, you know what the big problem of all this is? Red Bull are better than we thought they were going to be. That's the big problem. And, and I thought they were like, going to be this good. Yeah, yeah. But Credit you, to Cam. You, you, he is the yeah. one person on this panel that saw the potential of Red Bull Honda when we were all like, "No, we played. We've been through this song and dance too many times." <laughs> People yeah. were out here legitimately comparing Red Bull Honda to Tottenham Hotspur, and I'm sorry to all of our Hotspur fans who listen and watch this podcast. But Red Bull does have a trophy case. It may have been earlier this decade before the hybrid era. <laughs> <laughs> Look, but that, I think that speaks to how good Red Bull are this year yeah. as far as their mm-hmm. car is that we're expecting more out of Perez. We're expecting him to go and give the second Merc a bloody nose. He, he He's a top six driver in the field. That's understandable that people want a bit more. But I said to follow on from what Cam was saying, I don't think the majority of people were expecting Red Bull to be this good out of the box this year. And as a direct result of that, now we know that Red Bull is certainly good enough to give Merckx a bloody nose. We now want more out of Perez because a lot of people think he's not a million miles off the big two. So I think as a result... another veteran driver and your Nets man up is still at least a year away. The next race, Monaco is a driver circuit. Mm Mm-hmm. The Red Bull and the Mercedes, in their own ways, I expect will be ridiculous around that track to watch. And Perez has played before in what is now an Aston yep. Martin. Yeah. yeah. The Red Bull and... through terrific aero balance shift. The Mercedes through just sheer mechanical traction. Right. Perez, if he's going to adapt, if he's going to show what he's made of. Yeah. I feel like Monaco is going to be a good barometer of where that is. And Azerbaijan after that, too. too, too Indeed. And I was going to say, like, you alluded to it, RJ. Like, is there a viable alternative? Because it's it's not... 
It's not no. hard to be cynical regarding Red Bull and their driver manager. We've talked about it numerous times over the years. They've cut people for a lot worse than this and very quickly. Remember, we all know that Perez is only on an initial one-year deal, so he can be let go at the end of the season if necessary. Like, should Yuki Tsunoda be nervous? Um, or is is there a viable alternative you- here? Yuki should be nervous for his own reasons beyond just the Red Bull team because uh, he's got to put that filter on. I don't think there is a viable alternative for Red Bull right now. Not at the moment. No. I mean, in, in the case of Yuki Tsunoda, it's his fourth race. The car is clearly not suited to him, and Bahrain's been the only really impressive weekend that he's had. But... You know, I think with time, he'll start to get back to where he was when he was so excellent at Bahrain. And you just got to be he's... patient with him, which is the, the problem is that Red Bull usually have a tendency not to be patient. But in this case, well, you can afford to be patient. I don't, I really don't think there are much better options. I mean, you're going to cycle through every other like seventh, eighth, ninth year veteran at this point. Trying to find the one dude that's going to match Verstappen on pace until Max Verstappen initially eventually leaves the team. Maybe. Max is too established in that team, and a rookie, a, a rookie, and or someone just after their rookie year is not going to come into that team and instantly match Max. No, no. And just as well as I said it earlier, Perez has shown me more in these races with Red Bull than Alexander Albon showed me at any time in Formula One. Right, right, and this is this is definitely an improvement. Like, the, let me let me make that absolutely clear. In my opinion, at least, this is a marked improvement on Alex Albon. But unfortunately, Red Bull might be in a situation where they still may need more, and that is a uh, one. They still a, shouldn't one... have alienated Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, we've talked about it before. They were, we are coming up to, you know, three years since Ricardo was let go by, or, or at least Ricardo decided to go to Renault and took, you know, I've said to people before, think about it. Like, I know people are going to think of the money with Ricardo and Renault, but if you're walking away from a team that can win races on paper, something must not be right in that setup. Um, and yeah, we are, I think we've seen evidence of that through the years to back that up. Um, and people on the internet, as a, as a side note real quick, calm down on Yuki Tsunoda in every context. Calm yeah, down. I agree. I agree. Andre. On the positives, on the negatives, let him be a rookie. Let right. him learn. Right. And, you know, yeah, he admitted that his post-qualifying interview did not come across good, and he apologized for that. I also think that there is a language barrier for him that he is still working through, and that's yeah. fine. Yeah. He'll get it together. The car's not suited him anyway because he prefers his car to under- oversteer. Gasly, the incumbent veteran of the team, prefers a little bit of understeer. He's got that Vettel driving style. You, you, that's you know fine. what I was going to say? I blame Ross Braun. Ross Braun saw Bahrain and said, oh, this is the best rookie in years, and people jumped on that quote and ran with it. And that's been part of the problem because he's been rough since then. And yeah. you know, do I, I still just think get at the... the end of the do I still think at the end of the day that Yuki Tsunoda is going to be the first driver from his country to win a Formula One Grand Prix? Yes, but I'm not expecting it this year. <laughs> well, not in that, not in that thing because uh, all that AlphaTauri preseason potential just went. 
right down the toilet. Shout but out Pierre Gasly Yuki, getting a point after a penalty. Yeah. Yuki is very good. Yuki is also extremely raw. I mean, he was an F2 rookie, and now he's an F1 rookie in the span of two years. Yeah, Let yeah. him develop. Give yeah. him some time. Mick Schumacher right now is the only rookie that looks like a finished product. We mentioned it as teammate, but that's not the point. <sighs> not, not the best. Not the best indeed. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think, I think Checo will be fine. I think Checo's going to be fine. I think the, uh, they're I both so. going to be fine. I think they're I both so. going to be fine. Do not let me down on this, Red Bull. <laughs> like I said, Spain, pretty solid weekend all around. They're not all going to be winners, Amazing. but for Spain to be even decent is a, uh, is a, is a step in the right seven. direction. Yeah, well, I, I did six. So but, uh, six. You know, well, that was fine. Um, that was fine and whatnot. Um, when you get a moment, King, let's talk Monaco, baby. <laughs> the Monaco e the first race on what is pretty much the full Monaco circuit with one small alteration Pr- probably the best Formula E race that I've ever seen and it was won by Antonio Felix da Costa in what will truly go down as one of the all-time great races in not only history of the series, but the history of Monaco in general. And the race was largely a three-way fight between da Costa, Robin Friends, and uh, Mitch Evans. And Bruh! the three... And <laughs> as much as they say you can't pass at Monaco, you could pass here. But for the most part, those three were in control of the lead. That they pretty much... I wouldn't say isolate themselves from the rest of the field, but they were clearly in control up front. Yeah. They, they ran from the swarm of hornets behind them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mm. but they were their own swarm of hornets, because I'm never going to forget mm. Mitch Evans. Uh, like, Mitch Evans going around the outside of... Uh, well, yeah, around the outside of of DaCosta, like, going up Beau Rivage and going around the outside to, to the the run to, to Casino Square. And oh, it was fantastic overtake. Stunning. And, uh... <laughs> and that aggression paid, uh... Mitch Evans had to pay the price for that aggression later on when he had to conserve his battery. And, uh... On the last lap of the race, Antonio Felix da Costa and the Nouvelle Chicane locking up Damn all four it. tires. If gap <laughs> car. Uh, but what an overtake. Yep, and what a pass. And Evans wasn't even able to salvage second because he lost he, he lost second on the run to the finish line to <laughs> to Robin Friends. It, I'm never gonna forget this race, uh, guys. Do you think this? Do you think that this is the greatest Formula E race of all time? Because at first I, at first I hesitated a bit. I was like, maybe one of the Punta del Este races were better. And it was mm. like, now this time gone, by, now that more time has gone by. I'm thinking, no, this Monaco E Prix was the best Formula E race we've run so far. Of all the ones yeah. I've seen, absolutely, it was. It had a little bit of everything. It had a great fight for the lead. It had plentiful overtaking at Monaco because these cars work at Monaco. Yeah, that's it's a right. full circuit. Whoever tiny... thought, 
<laughs> Whoever said on your social media, I have your asses in 4K. If you said these cars weren't going to work on the full circuit, delete your account. <laughs> Dude, it's amazing. The di- the change in dichotomy where Monaco becomes an out-and-out power track. Where they have a small <laughs> footprint. Where you could turn, where you could race three wide. It's not advisable, but you two wide, definitely. I, I was just thinking about that sequence, that where DaCosta, in a span of maybe like a couple hundred meters, gets around friends for second, then just blows past DaCosta for the lead of the race with 15 minutes to go. And we're thinking, wow, there's nothing that's gonna top this. You will never see anything. And to be fair, you will not see anything in the Formula 1 race that tops this. No. no but, no, wow, we thought that couldn't be top for the evening until that pass by DaCosta going into the new Nouvelle chicane. Or is that the Nouvelle Nouvelle chicane? It's tough to say. <laughs> the, but, yeah, the, the half-Vel chicane. <laughs> the kind of chicane. I thought that was going to end in tears for both of them. Well judged mm. for Antonio Felix DaCosta, who showed the mark of a true champion. With, with that move to win the race on the I final. say DaCosta? DaCosta's been a little bit anonymous this year, and boy, a little bit. He, he kicked down that door now, didn't he? Yeah, that's the thing. All four, Last season, all four wheels. he was just ha- happy to coast in. It wasn't until we got to the Berlin set stuff, it was just like, championship time now. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I can only echo the sentiments of my colleagues. This was the best Formula E race I've ever seen. This was the first Formula E race I gave the infamous Dre are you effing kidding me score to. And, like, this is the best Grand Prix I've ever seen at Monaco. No matter, regardless of car, regardless of sports, regardless of format, this was special. This was everything great about Formula E this in one. Is, this race, the next four-minute package. I'm sorry, but this race was everything that people hype up the Monaco Grand Prix to be. Oh God, yeah. It? It's like it's it's like Monaco's the beacon of disappointment because <gasps> you keep you set up for it, thinking it's going to be like Olivier Panis in '96, and it's never going to end up being that. But this time. This was special. This was everything great about the series. You had tight, close, competitive racing. You had stunning overtakes and bravery. Guys having to be brave because the differences between the cars are so negligible. I have never seen anyone go around the outside of Eurovage like Mitch Evans did. Never! In a million years! That was one of the... We've already seen Motaro thread the needle like on Forza Horizon 4. We we got that in Saudi Arabia. We thought that was awesome! But, man... (laughs) Unbelievable! And we were worried at the start of the race because we were seeing overtakes. We were just seeing them uh, monster truck style when Veriline went yeah. over the top of Sims at uh at the hotel. You know that Paramount. Tottenham Spur. You know that Tottenham Spur uh, clip uh, singing "We're fucking shit." That's poor. <laughs> right That's me yeah. right now. Yeah, we yeah. we stink. <laughs> we're not ugly. Strong. We just stink. We I know, stink. and like so that, the, the Evans passing was phenomenal, the, the cost was incredible, like, that was one of the best race winning overtakes I've seen in half a decade, that was a astonishing pass from DaCosta to win the race on the final lap, he locks all four tyres, but he gets it absolutely inch perfect, if he gets that 10 feet out, he's got to cut the chicane and he, and he might not win, he gets that a Evans, foot out, 
Yeah, like if perfect. It was absolutely on the nose, and there was and Mitch pretty much admitted after the race there was nothing he could do about it. It was absolutely inch perfect, and it had to be anything less, and he probably cuts that chicane. It was a wonderful, wonderful race and a wonderful exhibition for the series, and one that it desperately boy. needed because mm. yeah, we were in that, we were in meltdown mode. Like we were, we were. We, uh, we were about to start cry typing after the first race of Valencia. <laughs> we uh, this was the perfect uh, this was the perfect antithesis of everything that was wrong with Valencia. This is everything. This that is was right. fantastic. This is everything that is right about Formula E. This is why the manufacturers invested it. This is why the drivers sign up for it. This is why John Todd is trying to figure out how the series can be more popular. Buddy, you can you can start by putting a little more effort into it first and foremost. Mm. And this is why and this is a race that lives up to the prestige that Monaco has. Can we give this race the Monaco Grand Prix label? Yes. One, it's been a great one. Yeah. It's been a great mm. run as the main yeah. event of the Monaco Grand Prix, but I think it's Formula E's time now. And there's no shame in that. There are many other places you can race. Look, if 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 it moves some of the hype away from Formula One's Monaco Grand Prix and we give it to the Monaco E Prix instead, and Formula E can make Monaco its own thing with an with an endorsement for how good Formula E can be as a series, you will get a lot more eyes on Formula E in general. Because one of the biggest criticisms of the series over the years is that they don't race on conventional tracks, and we've had two conventional tracks so far this season. One was a disaster, and we're not disputing that Valencia was a disaster, certainly in race one. Anyway. Way, but this was perfect. I cannot stress enough. Yeah. This was perfect, yeah. and the series needed this one bad, and yeah. it really, really needed this one bad, and it it, it, it nailed it. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Valencia, yeah, Valencia is forgiven. As far as I'm, especially given that they have tweaked the rules a little bit um, since that Valencia race happened. Uh, and, uh, King, is there something you need to tell us about being a plant <laughs> in the FIA? <laughs> no, no, I've I've zero pull within the FIA. You, are we sure? Did they do like your ideas? Yeah, they did the exact thing that you suggested. Someone yes, up there is listening, and I don't even think that that episode hadn't even come out yet. Yeah, it hadn't even come out yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were okay. Still, we were still okay, like which one of you is it? Which one of you in the Discord server is an FIA plant? Look, it's not me. <laughs> It's not it's, me. It's, I am it's, way it's too terminally online to be an FIA plant. <laughs> no, and and again, shout out to full for full disclosure. Yes, um, they are now going to cut off the kilowatt reductions with five minutes out from the Grand Prix finishing. So, um, kilowatt reductions will end at the forty minute at uh, the forty minute mark. So. Yeah, um, ex- or pretty much exactly what King suggested on episode three hundred two. Um, he, uh, t- I mean, he said about maybe two minutes. You, you cut the reductions out altogether. It's it's five in this case, but I'm giving King the dub on this one. Well done, King. Spot on. Yep. Well yep, played. I did it. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was awesome. When do we get to? When do we get to have more Formula E racing? Ooh. Uh, Next time out, we'll be in Mexico, but not in Mexico City at Autodroma Romanos Rodriguez. We'll be in, in Puebla. At the Autodromo Miguel e Abed. Yep. <laughs> Sounds fun I indeed. I don't think I've ever uh, seen a race there. 
Yeah, because the, the only international series that has raced there before is uh, the World Touring Car Championship. But this is a oh, staple of the NASCAR it. Mexico series because it's also an oval, baby. Yes, we're racing on a roval. <laughs> F.E. at the roval! <laughs> F.E. at the roval! What's the, the Spanish Americans word for roval? This. I'd just say roval. Uh, roval. <laughs> 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 the roval. Is, is that your idea of Spanish thing? Just, just put a little twang on it, yeah? No, yeah. no, no. no. It, you gotta add the accent and then you gotta roll the R. Oh, of, of, of course, of course. Um, I would like to we'll announce be... that I'm starting my own Bring Back the Flat Twelves podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's come to this. Um, we got we got some fun motorsport next weekend. We've got MotoGP at Le Mans, and that is one of the big blue ribbon events on the calendar. Mm. That is going to be fun. Possibility of rain as well. Um, I've, I'm seen from the weather reports. There is a possibility of rain on Sunday. Could be like last year's. Could be very interesting indeed. Um, and I believe we've got IndyCar as well at the Indy Grand Prix as yes. well this weekend. The, the yep. start we of the that. month of May. Yes. Yep. Or the and uh, got a little bit of IMSA at Mid Ohio. Finally, oh, some yeah. more of that to. Uh, Wash out the bad taste that Spa left me with. Yo, we got uh, <laughs> we got Super Formula at Autopolis this weekend. This is gonna be great. Mm. So yeah, plenty of fun on motorsport. We'll be back next week to talk. Like, obviously, headlining will be MotoGP at Le Mans. Um, Fabio Quadraro home win, maybe. We'll have to wait and see that. Trust me, I, got I, I don't think rise above compartment syndrome. I was going to say, it's a darn shame that that race will not have fans, because if there was, there'd be 100,000 mad French people cheering his name if he had a home win this weekend. But uh, sadly, due to France's issues with their vaccine rot, there will be no fans at Le Mans this weekend, which is a shame, but it should still be a fantastic Grand Prix. Looking forward to that. Places you can go and find this before we get out of here. YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Thanks for watching. If you're watching on YouTube already, again, subscribe, hit the bell. Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Twitter, Motorsport underscore 101. Our handles are on the screen if you're watching us. If not, at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Ryan Eric King, at C Buckley 917 at Motorsport 101 pod for the podcast on Instagram. You can follow us on there as well. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of the audio versions of our shows. You can upgrade to ten for the video versions and access to the supporters club where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded. As mentioned, MotoGP at Le Mans uh, and IndyCar at Indianapolis. The, the preview to the big one, but the Indy Grand Prix this weekend. I'll be back for that next week. But until then, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell, Ryan Eric King, and Cam Buckley. Until then, sign out, everybody. Later, y'all. Bye. So is Porsche entering an extra car for Roger to drive an IMSA? <laughs> <laughs> uh, also... I got some bad news, so oh. I want to Google Translate and the Spanish language version of Wikipedia, and guess, ov- oval in Spanish is in fact oval. Oh, he was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oval. Oval. Beautiful.